any denomination, and that's what we are as a denomination, will have its doctrinal statement uh, that tells you what it believes. Hopefully that information on paper is worked out practically and truthfully in the actions of uh, a local church or uh, denomination. The Alliance has itemized uh, a list of things that they believe are right at the heart <clears throat> of who we are. And we call those things core values. They're not unique to the Alliance. Uh, sometimes educational institutions will do the same thing. Um, other denominations will do a similar kind of thing. They talk about core values, and those core values are the things that are the bedrock of, of belief. One of the core values <clears throat> that we uh, hold to is uh, expressed this way in that core value statement. Lost people matter to God, period. He wants them found. Lost and found. Uh, I'm going to come back to that parable of the lost son, or you more often call it the prodigal son, although that word is not used in the scripture, but, but the parable of the lost son. Because in Luke 15, which is where we'll go, Jesus is telling in his wonderful storytelling mode that he's a master at about things that are lost and what happens when they are found. So same way with this, with this parable of the lost son. And what I'd like to do is very quickly look at that. And, and I'm going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that other than you'll get information. You can fill in blanks. If you want follow on the study outline, and, and chew on that content later. It's a little different approach than we took when we looked at that particular content on Father's Day. <clears throat> so in essence, the first part of this message really only has two hinges on the door, if you will, two main parts to it when we start talking about the lost, uh, the lostness of men. Um, this week at... Life Conference, without question, there are probably kids that attended that conference <clears throat> who were on the outside looking in. Either they had very little religious uh, experience or journey, or maybe nominal, or maybe they were tied in with a group, a young uh, youth group or something like that. But they, but they may not have had a full understanding of what it meant or what it means to be on the inside of matters of faith and understanding the truth of God. So I think probably for some, they were on the outside looking in without question. The things they were challenged with in the messages and the music and the projects that were involved would, would capture their hearts and minds and hopefully move them from pre-believers or non-believers to believers, to Christ followers. 
And that's, of course, the goal of, of that. And then to disciple them. That's a part of the ongoing task of the local church is to disciple youth, the next generation who will pick up the banner and walk with Christ. <clears throat> uh, I want to look at this story in Luke 15. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to make reference to a couple things with it. Um, and, and then uh, hopefully you'll be able to see its application to the Acts chapter 2 portion of Scripture, which we will read in a moment. So go back in your mind uh, to the Luke 15 passage. Turn there if you need to. But very quickly, there are a couple pieces to that story. First, there's the reminder of what I would call the slippery slope of sin. The slippery slope. Of sin. Now, if, if you're an English person, you know that's called alliteration. Okay, slippery slope of sin has a, almost a snaky kind of sound to it. You know, so so you might even reflect back to Genesis three and the serpent in the garden. Anyway, but be that as it may, sin <clears throat> is a slippery slope. We sometimes think that we have everything in control. We manage things. We can choose to do something that we know to be wrong or not. It's, it's our choice. But sometimes it gets a bit slippery at that point, and we can find ourselves on a downhill slide. Um, last week, I was at a wedding uh, on Saturday. A few days before that, we were vacationing with our some of most of our family, except one part of it, uh, in the Adirondacks. And uh, you, you go to the Adirondacks, one of the things that you do is you hike. With all those mountains, you know, the however many niners there are up there, <clears throat> uh, above a certain elevation, you want to try to hike them. Well, the, the family, I, I, was, I chose not to hike that day, the first day. Well, they bit off a real big piece. They went on Mount something or other, and it was a, it was a, it was a workout. Uh, going up, you know, you're holding on to things, you're working on a trail. Coming back down, it's a little bit different because it's slippery. And our youngest daughter, uh, Teresa, when she got back and I hooked up with her, she was hosing off all the dirt and grime and crud and bugs and everything else. And she said to me, I think I'm going to die. She said, going up, I could do that. But coming down, you, just, you were just out of It's like a controlled fall to get down. It's just because of the slippery slope that you're on. You think you're going to handle it, but sometimes it gets a bit out of control. The slippery slope involves several things. And for the, for the lost son in particular, uh, here, here they are very quickly. It involved selfishness when he says in verse 12, give me my share of the estate. Now, regardless of whether what, what the father did and his wisdom or lack of wisdom to do that, the point of the story is he chose to do that, but that was a very selfish request that came on, be, on by the son to the father for, for, for I want, I want what I want. And we already talked about how that is essentially saying to your dad, I wish you were dead because I, uh, I, that's when you normally would receive inheritance from that side. So he begins, and his fall begins with a selfish act and disregard for his father. He says, forget, forget my brother, forget my family, forget my dad. 
give me the money, I want to get out of here. It begins with selfishness. A second thing that's involved in this slippery slope is hasty decisions. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a far country. Um, the language there is simply that he, that it, and almost impulsively, I don't know that this would be well planned, but he's, he had what he needed. Now he was going to figure out a way to, to have a great time as much as possible. So he made the hasty decision, he got up and took off. The Bible says when he got his money, he went to a far country. And when you hear that phrase, sometimes you think, oh, that's got to be thousands and thousands of miles away. It's got to be from here to Orlando away. Not necessarily. Do you know where the far country is? More likely, it's one step outside of God's will for you. That's a far country. One step outside of God's plan and purpose for you. You could be working at your job and be in a far country. You could be going to high school and living in a far country. You could be in church every Sunday and still be in a far country. The far country isn't that far away. It's just one step outside the will of God. One of the pieces involved on that slippery slope, selfishness, hasty decisions. Third, third piece is wastedness. The language of verse 13, the end of that verse says, and there he squandered or wasted his substance or his wealth in, King James says, in riotous living. You know, so you just kind of go back to some of the language of that translation. He wasted everything he had. That's where we get our word prodigal. It literally means to waste. And so when he leaves, he doesn't intend to come back. He took all his money. If he was planning to come back, he would have saved some with him and had some in reserve. But it was, it was very deliberate in what he did. And <clears throat> he wasn't tricked into spending his money. He just chose to blow through it. So it was wastedness. Another piece in terms of that slippery slope is, I'm putting it this way, it's called intentional separation. Intentional separation. Um, sometimes when we get on the slippery slope of sin, we choose to distance ourselves from all the network that God has given to us and provided us that can help us. But sometimes we think we've got a better plan or idea. And so you intentionally separate yourself from people that can be part of the solution for you, but you move away from them. Separated himself from every relationship that was important to him. By leaving, he broke his relationship with his father and with his brother. He left family and friends. He rejected everything that was good and right and holy. All of that went out the window in terms of the intentional separation. That's why when you're in the throes of that slippery slope, you sometimes don't make good decisions. Now, I know we don't like people to speak into our lives when we're in that mode. And the last thing you want to hear is somebody getting on your case about a decision you made or you know, whatever the issue is. But, you know, uh, God puts us in a community, he puts us in a family or a church family extended so that there can be other wisdom or point of view to help you 
come to some important decisions you need to make. So don't, don't be prodigal and waste a lot of time in terms of intentionally pulling apart from relationships that God intends for you to have. Then also there was uh, the matter of poor choices. Uh, he, 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 made, he made a long string of bad choices. But you know, the odd thing is that sin always works that way. It always works that way. It, 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 it blinds us to the truth and you believe a lie. <clears throat> and then you have to tell another lie to cover up that one. Um, I, <clears throat> I, I listen sometimes to uh, these uh, law enforcement shows. I like, uh, I like ones called North uh, Lone Star, that's in Texas. And then there's another one that's on uh, Northwest up in Maine or, or out in the West Coast. And they, they're game warden stories. They get all the crazy things that these game wardens run into as law enforcement officials. And uh, on more than a few occasions, I've heard them say, now, you don't have to try to worry about covering up lies if you just tell me the truth. You don't have to keep making things up as you go along. As they interrogate people, it seems like one lie leads to another lie leads to another. But you just speak the truth is what you need to do. And those sin has a way of making those poor choices get exaggerated. You start making bad decisions, and then pretty soon you're about 15 bad decisions down the road, uh, and, and things are not, not going. So then, then there, in the providence of God in the story, there's this famine that occurs in the country. And, and the truth is, whenever you leave God, there's always going to come a famine in a far country. If it's just one step out of the will of God, God's plan for your life, sometimes that famine indeed comes. It might look good, but suddenly that land that you thought was flowing with milk and honey dries up or gets really bad or becomes really tough. And after a while, the money runs out. And after a while, the music stops. And after a while, the beautiful people that you have gathered around, you get bored with you, move on to the next touch. And after a while, you're broke and penniless. The reality is sometimes, more often than not, sin does that to you. It breaks you. It's a slippery slope. Now, that's only one half the story, because the better half of the story, the second hinge on this door, is that there follows, thankfully, a way home. If you have a slippery slope of sin that's taking you on this downward slide, Thank God that there is a way home. And I want to just give you five words real quick uh, that describe the way home, what's involved with that. The first one is awakening. I was delighted that that was, a, that was the theme that they chose for life 2019, awaken. And, and, and there was a, a, in that event, was a tremendous challenge uh, from God's word for people to allow their heart to be made alive again. If they were in bondage, to be set free. If they were in sin, to be released in terms of the realm of forgiveness from God. The language of awakening comes in verse 17 of that passage in Luke 15. It says, when he came to his senses, that's a wonderful phrase, uh, uh, I would I would hope and wish that we could come to our senses quicker than we usually do when we get going into far country. But that's life. 
don't stay there longer than you need to because God has a way home for you. And the first step in that process is an awakening. He comes to his senses. In one sense, sin is senseless. And what God longs to do is help you come to your senses along the way. Uh, he, he could have said, well, it's really my older, older brother's fault. Always somebody else in the family, you know. My older brother's fault. If he wouldn't have picked on me, things would have been better. Daddy always liked him best. He could have said, if dad had given me more money, I wouldn't be in this fix. Or he could say, oh, those cheap women seduced me. They stole my money. The farmer never gave me a good job. Always putting the blame on someone else. A thousand excuses could have been thought up. But in all of that, there is the awakening that comes when he realizes the situation. Second thing is that there's repentance. Uh, Barb and I were talking about this on the way up. Not, we weren't talking about my sermon, uh, the sermon. We were talking about when they invited young people to come at life and, and receive Christ as Savior. She says, I don't remember any discussion about repentance. And uh, I, I said, well, I think I remember some pieces in there in different speakers at different times. So, but, but if there wasn't, there certainly needs to be because one of the things that we have to do, and that's what the word repentance means, is to simply, instead of go this way, we turn around and we go that way. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart that God does in us. And that's a requisite too. He says, verse 18 says, I'll go back to my father. So the words awakening and repentance. The third word I would share to you, with you is that there is honesty. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He rehearses in his heart and mind what it is that he needs to say to the Father. And he's honest about that. I have sinned. It's no longer my brother's fault, my father's fault, those women's fault, my whatever. It's being honest about it. And you be done with excuses. Three little words. Simple, short, profound. I have sinned. We all have to come to that point where we, in the journey that God has us on, when we receive truth from him and it runs up against what I am doing or what I am believing, we have to acknowledge the truthfulness of God's word and you come to that point where you say three little words. I have sinned. There's honesty in that. There's also a fourth word, humility. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's verse 19. He rehearses this while he's in the pig pen. And it's a tremendous statement in itself. He doesn't make deals. He comes back home with no preconditions. He didn't say, Dad, I'll, before I'll come back, we, we got to make a deal. He simply comes and says, I'm coming back. I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've disgraced you. If you'll take me back, I'll work like a hard hand. I won't even call myself your son anymore. Real repentance doesn't make deals with God. It's understanding who God is, who I am, and making our humble response to him. And then one final word that I would give to you is the word resolve. And that is verse 20 in Luke 15 where it says he got up and went to his father. After awakening comes repentance, then honesty, then humility, 
and it leads to all to go home. On several of the everything I'm everything my mind is running through the filter of life this week because I was watching so much of that, watching the dynamic of it, watching the ask that was given or was 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 being looked for of those young people to make a response to God. In all of them, on many of those occasions, they had different ways of allowing those those young people to get a buy-in to the belief of being awakened to what that was involved in. Sometimes they had them sometimes they had them come to an end of an aisle. Sometimes they had them huddle up with with one of the, some of the counselors that were stationed in different spots. Sometimes they asked them to come forward. Sometimes they said, "Sit down in your seat." And when you are we are ready to make that commitment to Christ. I want you to stand up. So there are a variety of ways in which that that opportunity to respond or the resolve was to come, taking that first step. Now, with all of this in mind, to the, the backdrop of Acts chapter 2, I want you to now turn there. So, got a Bible with you? Good for you. Uh, Acts chapter 2, if not, just follow along and we'll get to it as we read. I'm going to begin at verse 5. Uh, good, great. Thanks, Frank. <clears throat> so here we are, 5 through 13. Now, uh, I, have to, I have to set remind you just a little bit because we, we already covered the first four verses. That was amazing. That was when the Spirit of God descends upon the people of God who are trying to figure out what's next. And uh, he Jesus promised, I'm going to send the, the comforter. I'm going to send I'm going to, the promised one to you. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so Acts 2, 1 through 4 is that record or that account. Uh, and we've already looked at that in some measure. Now I'm going to pick it up at verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What's up? What does this mean? What does this mean? Verse 13 says, Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. So here's the, here's the content. Now, I want, I want to, I guess I, here's what I'm thinking. You have a, a grocery list, at least 15 separate regions that are listed or represented here from all over the place. Um, there are some things that are, that are going on here that 
that set it up for the prodigals of the world, the lost people of the world, to be able to come to a place where they can be found, where they can find God in process. So there are a couple things with this. The first one is this. God orchestrated events to capture their attention. He orchestrated events to capture their attention. A uh, reminder to you, as we talked about last well, two weeks ago, that Pentecost was one of those pilgrimage events, uh, one of three events in the holidays of Judaism where they had to get up from where they were and head to a particular designation, usually Jerusalem, for a particular purpose. But God orchestrated the event that captured their attention. And so these Jews, Jewish people, good people, good moral people, who had Ten Commandments that they lived by, and then a whole grocery list of additional guidelines that were interpreted over the course of time to explain what it means to, to, uh, to honor the Sabbath or respect the Sabbath. Well, okay, that means I can only go so far. So they have explanations that go on. Um, so with all these guys, all these good moral people are coming to celebrate Feast of Weeks, if you will, Feast of Harvest. We talked about that two weeks ago. And, and it's, it's meaning of, of bringing in people as harvesters uh, to, to the, the harvest of God, bringing them in, <clears throat> it orchestrates it as a pilgrimage event. In addition to that, the coming of the Holy Spirit was a supernatural event. It was more than just, oh, what a coincidence. I, we use that word, coincidence. I don't use that word very much anymore. I use God incidents instead. It's not just random. It's an orchestrated thing. God knows the beginning from the end and brings people in. You might say, well, uh, I just happened to show up today because I thought, yeah, it's a nice thing to do. Uh, I think God orchestrates some things. Whether Who's going to be here today? Who, who isn't able to be here? Who will be here next week? I think they are, they are orchestrated by God. So there's truth that you need to hear today uh, about this whole issue of lost and found. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're, you're interested or you're curious, but you're still on the outside looking in. You don't know what it means to, to follow this Christ, to, to embrace him in, in, disciple, in, in discipleship. Uh, and receive him as Savior and then follow him as a disciple. This event is an orchestrated event which got the people where they needed to be and then experienced the supernatural event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's first piece in terms of God orchestrating events to capture their attention. So let me, let me think for a minute. Let me assume that we're all prodigal sons. We're all lost sons. What will it take to get you to a place where you become found by God? In the journey of life, what will it take? Maybe it'll take uh, a friend uh, encouraging you to explore a little bit more about maybe what the Bible says. 
or truths from God's word. Maybe maybe you get an invite to come to a church or whatever it may be, some kind of group setting where you where you where you move and you get on your pilgrimage and you move to a point where you encounter truth, truth of God's word, something that's supernatural. What does God have to do? Sometimes we have to remember that there are times when God will move heaven and earth to get your attention, to capture your heart. And he'll do that not because he's trying to manipulate you, but because of the immensity of his love for you. He loves you enough to go hunt you down, to find you. To, and, and, and the language of rejoicing that comes in the parable of the, of the lost son. This my son was lost, but now he's found. And in the other parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15, talk about the rejoicing, how they find something of great treasure, great value, and it's been, it was lost, but now it's found. The delight of being found. Let me tell you for a moment about the lengths that God goes to. Uh, God goes to great lengths to do two things, to declare his wonders to the prepared audience, verse 11. And, and, and that's what the language of it, that's what the language is. Both, both Jews, converts to Abraham, that kind of thing. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, regardless of what you, how you understand Acts chapter 2, and uh, the gift of tongues, whether you view that as known language or an ecstatic utterance that's only understood by a gift of interpretation. Uh, there's a whole lot that's around that that's moving parts that I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked in. But all, understand this, that God speaks your language. God speaks truth to you. And the multitude of, of different dialects or regions, each probably with their own particular. Well, I know they're probably be, maybe there might, many of them might have been Latin or Greek or whatever, whatever the trade languages were. But without question, there were for this this gang, there was Hebrew, Aramaic, which is the spoken language. That, and so, and they have these people from all over the place. You got them Egypt. You got them this way. You got them up in Rome. It was all over the known world then pulled in to experience the supernatural presence of God. What is it that God's longing to do? He's looking to, he's looking to find lost people. And he's looking to pull them into a place of encounter with truth. Maybe that will be City Light's task to find lost people that matter to God. Now I'm going to give you a reveal of discussion that happened two weeks ago uh, with our district superintendent. Uh, Frank and I uh, and Casey and Barb went out to lunch afterwards. We talked about uh, what are the next steps. So you, you'd be glad to know there are next steps. We're not closing the door. You know, we're going we're to work on what next steps are. And, and there will be some stuff that will probably roll out very soon that will be things that we will begin to do to try to task to the, the placement of a pastor here. Uh, one of the things that really struck me and uh, uh, and I was appreciative of was in one of the comments that uh, uh, Nate said. Uh, 
the superintendent said. He said, I'd, I'd I want to challenge you to challenge the, the congregants, the people, the church family, to begin to cultivate relationships with lost people. Sometimes we might be more back that, oh, there are people that have left. And if we only had those people, if we only had a few more people, it, it, would, it, would, be, it, would, be help, it would help us. It would, it, would, it would help us get some traction. And Nate said, well, that, that's, that's, that's okay. But the main point is we need to be building relationships with people who are pre-believers. Who are, who are not there yet, who are, you, we will use the word, lost. They haven't, they haven't discovered this life in Christ yet. And so here's what his assignment was for us to share with you. And, and so I, I want to give you a heads up. Next week's message is going to deal with lostness again. And so um, we may not come right back to Acts 2 and verse with Peter's sermon, which wasn't a bad first go for a sermon, to be honest. Uh, we'll, but we'll talk about that another time. But, but the point here is that uh, Nate's really uh, believing that we need to cultivate relationships with people. So we're going to talk about how we do that, what that would look like in terms of the people with no strings attached. Okay? No strings attached. It, it's It's... Sharing the love of Christ with people uh, unconditionally with the prayer that they will discover the truth of Christ as we relate to them. And we do that regardless of the outcome. We share our heart with them. We share our life with them. We take a genuine interest in them regardless, of, regardless whether they come to place of belief or not. You just share with them. You let God use you as part of a process. And, and it's not unusual that God uses a number of people in the process of bringing that person to a point of decision or faith in Christ. Sometimes it takes a while. But you can be one of the people where we can help bring people from lost to found, from darkness, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light and his dear son, even Jesus. There are a couple things that he does. He declares his wonders. That was verse 11. Two things about that. One, he amazes them. He amazes them. Verse 7. That's a fascinating language. Verse 7 begins, utterly amazed. Amazed. When's the last time you would use the word amazed as a descriptor of church? Well, I'm, I, I'm amazed that somebody showed up. You know, I mean, maybe that's the way you'd use it. I don't know. It, there ought to be a sense of amazement. And I know that, that things that are amazing just kind of like take your, you see a, a sunset. That's amazing. That's beautiful. You see something really super occur in the life of somebody. That's amazing. You have somebody who, who gets prayed for. And we're going to pray for, for Dave, David. Um, we're, and God shows up and we say, that's amazing. That's amazing. Praise Jesus. We get all jazzed over that. But we, we tend to think, well, that's just for pleasure. I think there ought to be a sense in which each time we gather together, whether it's in a large group or a small group kind of setting, there ought to be a sense of expectation that Jesus longs to show up and he wants to do something that is 
amazing. Here's the gang. Here's the gang. These people, these people, they're Jews. They're, they're not Christians. They're Jewish people who are who are good folks. You know? But they they were on the slippery slope of sin, likely. And they needed to find their way back home to God. And so God orchestrates this event, brings them in, and then he chooses to amaze them. Look down at verse 12 also. He says, amazed and perplexed. So we have utterly amazed in verse 7 and amazed and perplexed in verse 12. He amazes them. What is it that God longs to do to amaze you? I think he longs to challenge you by the Spirit of God to press into him, to lean into him, and find in him your greatest delight and pleasure. He not only amazes them, but he perplexes them. That language of verse 12 there. It says, amazed and perplexed. They're saying, what's going on? What's happening in this group of people where the Spirit of God comes upon them and they are, they are emboldened, they are empowered, they, they, are, they are just very different than they used to be. They're not cowering, they're not hiding, they're not hidden in an upper room somewhere. They're just kind of spilling out into the marketplace and, and declaring the wonders of God. And he long and people when they when they hear about the wonders of God, they're going to say, "What's that about? What's going on? What's up?" And the language of that is causes them to be perplexed. Now, so I'm not certain if I've convinced you about the bridge between Luke 15 and Acts 2, but here's what I. Here's, here's what I hope to have you hear. We started out and said, lost people matter to God. And I think we probably shake our head and said, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess they matter to God. He wants them found. Whose job is it? It's ours. We each have a part. We each have a part to play. For you, it may be just, I'll use the phrase, uh, a term that was used by a guy who wrote a book called Conspiracy of Kindness, Steve Shogren. And, and it may be simply doing random acts of kindness for people. Uh, all right, I think I can fit this in. The next door neighbor to us, not our daughter and son-in-law live next door. They're next door neighbors too, and I try to random act of kindness to them once in a while. Uh, but the, the gal to the other side, uh, uh, grade school counselor, um, probably a good gal, married to her work. She's a single gal, but she's really committed to her work. And and you know we we pray for people around us in our neighborhood. You know, we you know the, the the couple that walk the golden labs in our neighborhood, the, the guy that comes by with this little Yorkie, and, and sometimes I don't know the name, sometimes I don't. So I, I I know the names of the dogs, but I don't know I've, I've got all this stuff. But you pray over you pray over them. Uh, just say, Lord, uh, I don't know what we can do today, but if there's anything I can do to be of encouragement or help or whatever, you do that. So we pray for our next-door neighbor there. Uh, yesterday, 
the mom was in and uh, the daughter's on vacation. And so I just struck up conversation with her and we were talking about some things. And I thought, how, how can I build a bridge? And so I, was, I said to her, I said, you know, Marcy, I, I see the back of the house that doesn't get any sun. And I'm going to be doing some power washing. Would it be all right if I just power washed that and got that mold off for, for you guys? She said, oh. It was like, well, why would you do that? You know, kind of thing, you know. Um, I said, well, I just would like to, I, I, I just would like to do that if, if it'd be all right. She said, well, you don't have to do that. I said, well, I know they're going to be gone the last week of the month. And they want me to keep an eye out for things, you know. I said, so so if you come back and I have that power washed off, you won't get mad at me. Uh, I said, I won't do the windows. I don't the windows. You know, I'll do the side, but I don't the windows. Uh, why, why would I do that? Well, I can do that because I'm a, a good neighbor, humanitarian guy. But my real heart's desire is to be able to build relationship so that you have a place of connectedness where other things might begin to develop without, and I'll power wash that side if nothing else happens because it was something that was prompted in my heart to do. And that's the conspiracy of kindness. And that's what you do in building relationships when lost people matter to God and you realize he's going to use me in some way to build relationship in order that it be easier for that person to be amazed by the presence of God and the power of God and perplexed enough to ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? So we're going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit more. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. That's the core value. And uh, certainly men and women today live on the slippery slope of sin and they need to find their way home to God and we have the opportunity to do that. The good thing about the lost son is that when it came time to move, he moved. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't let the grass grow. So many people say tomorrow, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Some more, the hymn writers, some more convenient day on the alcohol. Okay. Uh, Tomorrow I'll get up and go. Next week I'll rise. Next year, next day, next month. Not this guy. The lost son says, I'm going to go. And he got up and went. How, how hard is it to get from the far country to God? It's not hard, but the hardest thing is the first step. Now, when we bore into this a bit more last week, Next week, rather, um, we're going to talk about some of the th obstacles that are there that sometimes paralyze us from doing much of anything. Um, but the first step is is important. What do we say? The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And uh, I don't know where you're at in terms of far country. You can be in church and be in a far country. It begins with the first step. Maybe today is a first step day for you to move back to the Father.